This is the Dan Grosser Show on 98.7 ESPN. Right, Marsh now is through three innings. He's got a two-run lead. Hasn't pitched with many of those this season uh, as he's 0-3 coming in. And he's only given up one run so far. And he's only given up one hit so far through his first time uh, through the order. So, so far, more of the same for the Yankees. At, at a certain point, it's just going to be um, really silly to even discuss anymore, right? Because at, at a certain point, what else is there to discuss? We all know the problem. The Yankees even know the problem. They just don't seem to be able to do anything uh, to fix the problem right now. Mets, meanwhile, are trailing the Red Sox 3-2. to two. Uh, two pitchers who were having good seasons, giving up uh, some offense in the first three innings. Three to two Red Sox in the bottom of the third inning as they begin a three-game series in Fenway Park. Brandon Nimmo getting the Mets on the board with a two-run home run in the top of the third inning. So NFL training camp for the Jets in full bloom now. Uh, reported on Wednesday, first practice on Thursday. Uh, and, you know, like they say, the training camp for football doesn't officially begin until DPH run Rothenberg visit you at that training camp, which happened on Friday. And, of course, the headlining guest was the guy who's going to be the headliner all season long, Aaron Rodgers, sitting with Rick and Dave. Let's listen into a little of what number eight had to say. Why did he choose the Jets? Well, I got to know Coach Sala when uh, the Jets came out to Green Bay a few years ago. I enjoyed him. I went against him for years when he was in uh, San Francisco. Uh, I have a, a real uh, beautiful friendship with Nathaniel. Got to know him and Megan, his wife, and the kids. I'm very close with him. And then I thought that the team obviously had a really good chance. Played them last year. They beat the heck out of us at home. So I saw firsthand the ability they had on defense. And then you know, just the way that Joe drafted. When you're thinking about teams, obviously you want talent. You want to, to know there's leadership there. But you want enough players on first contracts to, to really do some things. So you look at the guys that Joe drafted last year. You had, uh, you know, Offensive Rookie of the Year in Garrett. You had Brees, who had an incredible year, uh, not getting hurt. He could have been in the mix for Offensive Rookie of the Year. You had Defense. You had Sauce, Defensive Rookie of the Year. And you had Jermaine. We had a really nice season as a rotational player. That's pretty damn good drafting right there. So um, I like the, the opportunity to uh, to play for a team that could win it all. Then you had all the other factors with, with Nate and then, you know, some of the guys they picked up in free agency. You know, and it's funny, and I do believe that was a big part of it, and I do believe what he says about the game when the Jets did take it to the Packers last year because that was still at the point of the season where we weren't sure that the Packers' season last year was going to go off the rails, which it did, although they made a late run until the final game uh, to had a chance to go to the playoffs but didn't. We didn't know the Packers' season was going to go off the rails, and we still didn't know what the Jets were, right? The Jets got off to that weird start. Looked terrible in week one. They had the miracle comeback in week two. And then they had the comeback against the Steelers. I think that was in week four. So all of a sudden, they're two and two. They could have easily been 0 and 4, but they were two and two. And, you know, then they start winning games against teams with some expectations, like the Packers, uh, like the Broncos game, the game that Brees Hall actually got injured in was telling. Um, and then all of a sudden, you know, they're in the midst of the playoff race until things fell apart and then things did fall apart at the end of the season the Zach Wilson thing was a mess you know that cratered in uh right right at Thanksgiving Thanksgiving week in New England and that kind of torpedoed the rest of the season uh Mike White the Chicago game will always have that but after that you got nothing from him and next thing you know you're losing your last six games and you're a sub 500 team again but 
what Jets fans have to realize is that last year was not all for naught because what you did accomplish last year was that you showed enough capability and you showed that there's enough in the infrastructure of your organization to become attractive to somebody like Aaron Rodgers. And that set you up for this season because if the Jets didn't have the season they had last year, if they didn't show the improvement with the young skill position players on offense, the rookie of the year offensively, the um, and the guy who might have been the rookie of the year offensively if he didn't injure his knee in the Denver game. And then with the young talent on defense and the veteran talent on defense. The defense isn't completely young. You know, Quinnen Williams is a veteran now. He's certainly getting paid like one. C.J. Mosley's a veteran. So the defense is a nice mixture of young guys and talented veterans. And that was important to show a guy like Aaron Rodgers that this is a team worth coming to. And that if you look at 2022 as a failure for this Jets team, don't because something very, very important was accomplished from that, and it was showing Aaron Rodgers that he could win here and that he could be the difference. You know, I equate it to, and we're now four years removed from this, which is amazing, and it's funny in the NBA how, how many things have changed since then. But you fans of the NBA especially remember the offseason of 2019. I mean, Knicks fans certainly do, right? Because that was right after Porzingis had demanded his trade. And uh, Billy McKinney just went yard. Three-run home run in the Bronx. So the Yankees have a 4-3 lead. The 2019 offseason, the, Yan uh, the Knicks were supposed to get uh, Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving and maybe even win the lottery and get Zion Williamson. And they ended up, as we know, with none of them. Because the Knicks miscalculated and they thought that all they had to do was clear salary cap space for Durant and Irving and tank to try to win the lottery and pick Zion Williamson. And that was the way to build the team. Except it wasn't because the Knicks didn't win the lottery. And then the two big free agents ended up going to Brooklyn instead. Why? Because the Knicks were 17 and 65. The Nets were 42 and 40 and went to the playoffs. So which team would you rather join? It's the same city. I know it's not the same building. It's not the same borough. We know that there's very little similarities between the New York Knicks franchise in Madison Square Garden and the Brooklyn Nets franchise in Barclays Center. But just as far as from a basketball perspective, which team would you rather join? So that was a miscalculation on the Knicks part. The Jets are really last year's version of the Brooklyn Nets. Did they win? No. Did they make the playoffs? No. Was it a disappointing finish and a bitter pill to swallow? Certainly. But you have to spin it forward. Look what came out of last season. Right? If the Jets went 4-13 and last year and Zach Wilson, um, you know, was throwing games away and the defense did not develop like it ended up developing under Robert Sala – and Garrett Wilson wasn't what he turned out to be. And Brees Hall wasn't what he turned out to be. And you finish 4-13 and 13 and you finish 5-12. and 12, Aaron Rodgers would not be here right now. You'd have Zach. You'd still have Zach Wilson in year three. And you'd still be, you know, searching for positives coming out of training camp each and every day. And tell me if this sounds familiar, Jets fans. But if I'm not mistaken, you just went through that a few years ago with Sam Darnold. And before that, you went through it with Geno Smith. And before that, you went through it with Mark Sanchez. Now, fortunately, Sanchez was able to help quarterback the team to back-to-back -to -back AFC championship game appearances. But aren't you sick and tired of looking for little signs in training camp from the hand-picked quarterback that you drafted? 
I mean, I'm certainly sick and tired of talking about it. You don't have to do that now because you have Aaron Rodgers. All right, let's hear more from Rodgers with DPH on Rothenberg today. Um, how long can he see himself with the Jets? You know, the Jets gave up a lot for me. So, you know, to just play one year I think would be a disservice. Now, if that one year turns out to be a magical year, who knows? But it's more than that, it's how my body feels. And I've made some changes this offseason with some, uh, you know, some uh, training and, uh, and diet. You know, haven't eaten a lot of bananas or, or fruit in a while or anything processed. I've been kind of just sticking to a lot of protein and fats, and I feel body feels good, joints feel good. Changed up some training regimen stuff with my incredible trainers out west and, uh, and in Austin. And, you know, body feels really, really good. I feel like I'm in a good spot. As you get older, it's sometimes you wake up in the morning, you're thinking, man, why does this hurt? Why does my knee hurt? Why does my shoulder hurt? But uh, the last uh, couple months, my body's been feeling really good. Now, talk to me in three, four months. We'll see how it feels. But the way I feel now, you know, I think I could, I think I could play a number of years. Interesting answer and really music to Jets fans ears because according to that answer the only scenario outside of an injury or his body completely falling apart which you can never predict but outside of that um, scenario the only one that would prevent Rodgers from playing next year would be as he said if they went on a magical ride this year so that's an interesting uh, question for Jets fans would you if you won a Super Bowl this year with all that the team had to give up for Aaron Rodgers, would you be okay with him winning the Super Bowl this year and then walking off into the sunset and retiring, and then you're kind of back to square one after this year? I mean, I would, I've got to think. I mean, that's probably a stupid question I'm asking right now, uh, rhetorical as it is. I've got to think that you know every single Jets fan would sign up for that in a second, considering that it's been 54 years since the last Super Bowl victory and the last Super Bowl appearance. Speaking of which... Does Rodgers think about what winning in New York would do for his legacy? You know, I, I definitely think about those things. I'm a historian. I'm a lover of the game. You know, I used to wear out this old VHS tape, which was highlights of the Super Bowl. So think about, uh, you know, the first few Super Bowls. It was, what, Green Bay, Green Bay, yep. New York? Yes, Super Bowl three. Yeah, so I know those three really well. And I know all about Broadway Joe. And it's been a while. And it's time to change that. You know, first and foremost, the first goal of the season is winning the division that gets you into the playoffs, gets you a home playoff game. And it's been 12 years for this squad as well. So it's time to time to change that. There's been there's a lot of hunger guys in the locker room. But yeah, I mean, I, I love I love the game. I grew up, uh, you know, that was my first love was was football. So I'm still hanging on to her. All right, Robert Sala, also a guest this morning from Jets Camp on DiPietro and Rothenberg. What has it been like having Rodgers in practice? No, it's been great. He's so engaging in practice, you know, and, and I, I don't know what it was like before. I just know what I see here. And, I mean, every play he's, you know, he'll go to the running backs and pop quiz real quick. Hey, what if I give you one of these? And he shows them a signal. And it's, um, you know, just the the accelerated uh, – effort that he has to try to get, make sure that guys are getting ready. Obviously, we're God, we're two weeks from our first preseason game and not even a month away or almost a month away from our uh, uh, first game. So he's he's fully engaged. He's so vocal and communicating a lot in meetings, too. And um, just just everything's just been been awesome. So as a result, Aaron Rodgers being on the Jets has ratcheted up the expectations and ratcheted up the pressure to win this year. It's got to be a playoff appearance at the very minimum for the Jets. And then, you know, you can dream beyond that. 
Now, it's not as simple as saying, well, you've got to win a playoff game, you've got to go to at least the divisional round, or you've got to go to the AFC Championship game. Because before you say all that, you've got to look at what else is there in the AFC. The two conferences, at least when you're looking at quarterbacks right now, are incredibly imbalanced towards the AFC. But that being said, does Robert Sala feel extra pressure to win this year? I feel like we've had to win games from the beginning. You know, it's uh, as a coach, you always want to win football games. But again, it's the same thing. You know, it's the expectation. You can't get caught up in expectations and uncontrollable things, even as a coach, because it's I've seen I've been in buildings where coaches have gone haywire because they they allow the pressure of winning things, things they have no control over to overwhelm them. And they start making decisions and changing messaging and just grabbing at anything. And then it's like. Well, you've just lost your authenticity as a as a coach to your players, and I think players want to see authenticity throughout. You know, whether you're on the top of the mountain or in the in the sewers, they 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 want to see who you are, and I think it's important for us to approach every day in that manner. I I put pressure on myself all the time because I expect I expect the best every single time, every time. It is what it is, and I'll let the outside noise be the outside noise, but at the same time, I just got to focus on on this team and putting it in the best position possible to to win football games. It's just exciting to have the Jets in this late. I mean, either team, but in this case, it's the Jets. To really have them for this year, because of this one addition, because of this one future Hall of Fame quarterback, uh, they are one of the marquee franchises of the NFL. They're one of the glamour franchises of the NFL. Of course, the market, you know, doesn't hurt. The number one market, uh, the storyline and the fact that they haven't won in 54 years, Aaron Rodgers being there. I mean, it's fun that this is the narrative that surrounds this team heading into this season because it's been so long. Even, you know, even the 20, was it 2009, 2010 teams that went to the back-to-back conference championship games especially the first one you know the first one came out of nowhere I mean the Jets were what seven and seven and they were facing the Colts who were undefeated and the Colts pulled Peyton Manning and the Jets won that game to go to eight and seven and then the next week they beat Cincinnati to go to nine and seven and then all of a sudden they were in the playoffs and then they beat uh, Cincinnati again the very following week and then who did they beat? I think it was San Diego to get to the uh, AFC Championship game where the Colts were waiting for them again. And they lost to Peyton Manning and the Colts and on their way to the Super Bowl. That came out of nowhere. Sanchez was a rookie. Rex was in his first year. You know, he was bombastic and fun. And the defense played great because they had great veterans like our own Bart Scott on that team. That, game, that team kind of came out of nowhere. The second season, it didn't come out of nowhere. But by the time the second season had rolled around, and this is where like the hard knocks thing comes in and is a little interesting, because I love the fact that the Jets are on hard knocks this year. But to be honest, you know, I, I like to see the Jets do well because it makes the football season in New York more interesting. I can't tell you how many shows I've hosted over the years, and last year was not one of them, and I was very thankful for it. But for years prior to last year, I can't tell you how many shows I would, you know, host here in mid to late December, early January, where the football season is going on, but you've got nothing, nothing to talk about for either of the two football teams. That's why last season was such a gift for what the Giants did and even what the Jets did. I know it didn't end up the way they wanted it. They finished 7-10, and 10, but when they were 7-4, and 7-5 and five in the playoff hunt, we still had a lot of good stuff to talk about. All right? So that's why I like hard knocks. I think it makes it interesting, but... You look at the hard knocks factor from 
2010. And I know that Jets team ended up going 11-5, and and they once again went to the AFC Championship game. It was a different team, obviously. It was a different coach. They had a lot of veterans on both sides of the football. But if you're comparing the excitement or expectations of that year heading into, heading into that year with heading into this year, I think the biggest difference is between hard knocks and between Rex. And, and again, yes, entertaining. Yes, fun. But he talked a lot. Right, We all know that he talked a lot. So I think by the time that team got to the start of the season, people were more like rolling their eyes at the Jets and were kind of like, oh, these guys again. There's no sense of that right now. This is just excitement about the possibility of what can be. right? Because we know that the Jets are going to be good defensively. I think they have another level to get to. All right, We know that, and I said this even before he played a regular season game, you know, I think Garrett Wilson can be in the same, you know, conversation shortlist of the top, top playmaking wide receivers in the NFL. And I'm talking, you know, the Justin Jeffersons, the Jamar Chases, those type of guys. And nothing he did as a rookie playing with Zach Wilson and playing with Mike White, nothing he did as a rookie told me otherwise. So what level does he have to go to, especially now with Aaron Rodgers as his starting quarterback? So you start to think of all of these possibilities. The two biggest things that are going to work against the Jets this season are, number one, the other quarterbacks in the AFC. If you go through the AFC teams, and I know they expanded the playoffs a couple of years ago. Seven teams make it from each conference, but, you know, Allen... Tungavailoa, if healthy, Burrow, Lamar, Deshaun Watson, Trevor Lawrence, Mahomes, Justin Herbert. That's eight right now. I haven't named the Jets, right? So if you put the Jets in, two of those teams do not make it if you put the Jets in. So the Jets got to jump over two of those teams. Now, what if Rodgers is the guy who he was two years ago when he was the MVP of the league or three years ago when he was the MVP of the league? Well, then it should it should be no problem. The other thing is the schedule is really hard. And I know it's hard for everyone, but what are the Jets going to be out of the gate? Because if they can get off to a good start, then it's really all systems go. Because if I look as I look at their schedule right now in the months of September and October, which encompasses Seven games. The first seven games of the season, the easiest game I see is the Giants game on October 29th, which is a Giants home game at MetLife Stadium. The way I look at it, that's the easiest game they have. It's a difficult schedule to begin with the Bills on Monday night. Then you go to Dallas. Patriots are never easy for this team. When was the last time they beat them? The Chiefs at home on a Sunday night. Then you go out to Denver again. Remember, they beat up on Denver pretty good last year, but that was Brett Rippon playing quarterback. That wasn't Russell Wilson. I know Wilson had a really rough first year, but he's still a lot better than Brett Rippon. And then you host the Eagles, and then you play the game against the Giants on the 29th of October. So the other quarterbacks in the AFC and the schedule to begin the season are the two biggest things working against the Jets. But you know what? Good teams and great teams, they can overcome those types of challenges and obstacles. And the Jets have the potential to be a great team because they have a great player at quarterback. Glaber Torres' hot streak coming out of the All-Star break continues. He hits a solo home run to right field. The Yankees lead the Royals 5-3, to starting to do 
what they absolutely need to do against this opponent as they begin a three-game series at Yankee Stadium. We'll get back to your calls, more on the Jets, and of course we'll swing the conversation over to Saquon Barkley and the Giants as we continue here on 98.7 ESPN New York. This is the Dan Grosser Show on 98.7 ESPN. Yankee Stadium over the Kansas City Royals. Mets get a two-run shot from Brandon Nimmo and a two-run shot from Daniel Vogelbach. In back-to-back innings, they lead the Red Sox 4-3, to but it's raining in Boston, so they're in a rain delay there in the bottom of the fourth inning. Kodai Senga, a tough start, three runs allowed through his first three and a third innings. Clark Schmidt doesn't seem to have his, uh, his best stuff tonight against the Royals. That game's already in the top of the sixth inning. My goodness. God bless the pitch clock. All right, Pat, I'll keep back with you. Uh, we'll get to the Saquon uh, situation in a moment. 1-800-919-3776. want to take a quick call here. Let's go to Mike in Miami. Mike, how you doing? Yes, sir. Uh, do you think, uh, well, first of all, it's amazing how uh, the Marlins are uh, falling like a rock. They're like 2-12. and 12. They're getting blown out by the last place, uh, Colorado. The reason I brought up the Marlins, I live in Miami, but I'm in New York transplants. So I also vote uh, root for the uh, Marlins. And, uh, I mean, uh, a team with 30 wins is beating them like 6 to nothing. Go figure, right? I don't at home, uh, I know you know a lot about baseball. Do you think that uh, it was a fluke uh, before I get to my second point that they were even playing so well? You know, I don't know it was a fluke, but I did reference where they were a lot in recent weeks. I think at one point, uh, Mike, they were 12 games above 500, and it just didn't feel real to me because they didn't right. have really – they didn't have the roster that – uh, that you expected to play to that level. And then the other thing that I always look at that's often an indicator, it's not 100%, but it's the run differential. And when they were when they were 12 games above 500, they had a pretty much an even run differential, um, which is an indicator that at some point they're going to regress to the mean. And it looks like they're doing that right now. They've lost six in a row, and the Marlins have lost eight of their last 10 games. Right, and uh, the two players... Uh... Soler and uh, what's the old, uh, the second uh, old uh, uh, African American uh, Cuban uh, guy that's like 37. Both of those guys are really, really bad. I can't even think of his name. Uh, Soler was a good pickup for them. Um, obviously, the MVP of the World Series a couple of years ago. Uh, and thanks for the call, Who's Mike. Um, yeah, uh, I'm not thinking about who the other guy. I mean, they have obviously Luis Arise is. Uh, you know, the star of the team with his uh, batting average right now that is at 376, leading all of Major League Baseball. But Soler is 24 homers. He's got 53 RBIs. But look, we don't need to dissect the Marlins roster. But what I will say about the Marlins, and this is uh, pertaining to the Mets, even before the All-Star break, when you looked at, yes, the Mets had a long way to climb in the standings in the National League wildcard race. Forget about the division. Uh, the Braves are long gone. The Mets right now are 17 and a half games behind the Braves. Braves are 62 and 33, and the Atlanta Braves are the best team in Major League Baseball by a country mile right now. So for the Mets, it's all about the wild card. And, yeah, games behind the third wild card spot, seven. You have to jump over one, two, three, four. You have to jump over five teams to get there. But here's the thing. All right. The teams you, that are ahead of you in the wild card race are 
The Cubs, they're certainly gettable. The Reds, similar to the Marlins, are they for real? They're 3-7 and seven in their last 10, starting to regress to the mean. Great story, but can they continue it over the course of 162 games? And then you have the Marlins, and the Marlins right now are tied for that third wild card spot with the Phillies. So the Mets are seven games behind the Marlins. They're also seven games behind the Phillies, and the Phillies are a more veteran team. They are a more built-to-win-now team. They went to the World Series last year, so they did win now last year. They almost won the whole thing now last year. And then the other one is the Arizona Diamondbacks. So for the Mets, yeah, you look at, oh, God, we got to jump over five teams. Yeah, but the Diamondbacks, the Marlins, the Reds, the Cubs, those teams are gettable. But for the Mets, you've got to it's, – it's more than just you've got to win, right? You've got to win every single series. And out of the All-Star break, they're 3-3. Three and three. They lost two out of three to the Dodgers. And then they had a chance to sweep the White Sox, which could have gotten them to four and two out of the break, and they lost yesterday. That's why a game like yesterday is important. You know, a game like yesterday's with a chance to sweep a team in May isn't that vital. All right. But when you get to late July and you have to jump over four teams to get into the playoffs and you're seven games back, you can't afford to throw away that game. Because guess what? If you won that game against the White Sox yesterday, you would have jumped over the Padres and the Cubs. So, boom, right there. You jump over two teams and you get closer to striking distance. All right, Jets, Giants. Obviously, we continue to follow along the Yankees uh, who are winning, the Mets who are in a rain delay. Uh, all of that in your calls as we continue here on 98.7 ESPN New York. This is the Dan Grasso Show on 98.7 ESPN. Underway, Giants report to training camp on Tuesday without Saquon Barkley. And that obviously will continue to be the big story surrounding the Giants until it is resolved, if it is resolved at all. All right, let's open up the phone lines at 1-800-919-3776. Let's go to Tommy in Connecticut. Tommy, how's it going tonight? Hey, what's up, Pat? What's going on? So, I, I, of all the you know positions that I thought the Giants were going to you know go out and improve on, I did not see Cole Beasley coming. I just I just ran down the list of their uh, wide receivers on their roster. You would not imagine how many guys are shorter than me on it. <laughs> I. I, I, I don't know. I don't know how I don't know how tall you are, Tommy. I've never seen you. Uh, well, I'm a white guy from Connecticut, so just you know, <laughs> okay. ballpark it. So okay. It, it, it doesn't it doesn't start with a six. I can tell you that much. Uh, I got you. Well, listen, um, Wandell Robinson, Cole Beasley, Jamison Crowder. What is Hyatt's height, the uh, draft pick? He is an even six feet listed, which means he's probably not. You know, a lot of times, look, and, and this is this time of year, Tommy, and the Jets are kind of doing this too. And it's not just, you know, slot receivers. It's all receivers. It's running backs. This time of year, you see who's available, and you throw a bunch of stuff against the wall, and you see what, if anything, sticks. And those are the guys that, you know, fill out your depth at that position going into the season. That and the – uh the the you know the big the big six five receiver experiment didn't work the last two years with Galladay. Well, you have to catch the ball. <laughs> so I think that's where they went with Waller, 
and they're thinking Bellinger is going to be the same, the same type of uh, presence. Bellinger was pretty good, Tommy. Thanks for the call. Waller, we know, can catch the ball. We know what the biggest issue with Darren Waller is. It's health. And he's had one, maybe two full healthy seasons in his career. Let me get the exact number of those for his NFL career with the Raiders. And he started with the Ravens. But he's played he's played he played six to it was two. He played sixteen games in back to back years with the Raiders in twenty nineteen and twenty twenty. I mean, the numbers for a tight end are unbelievable when he played a full season. 2019, 16 games, um, 90 catches for 1,145 yards. 2020, 16 games, 107 catches for 1,196 yards and nine touchdowns from the tight end position. So with Waller, you don't have to worry about him not being able to catch the ball. You have to worry about him being able to stay on the field. He's also 30 years old now. He's going to be 31 years old uh, three days after the Giants' season opener against Dallas. You know, the Giants, you have Hodgins, you have Slayton, you have Wandell Robinson, who he's one of those aforementioned short guys. He was good last year until he got hurt. Jalen Hyatt is another smaller, speedy receiver. They're draft picks, so you figure there's a spot for him. I don't know if there's a spot for Sterling Shepard, both because of the guys ahead of him on the depth chart and because of the fact that he's coming off a second serious injury. You know, Shepard's been on the team the longest, and he's a leader and he's a valuable presence in that locker room, but I don't know that his health or his production is going to warrant him getting a spot on this roster because, like I said, there are a lot of guys that are in that mix, and even – at the running back position, the Giants signed James Robinson as a running back earlier today. So starting to or continuing to prepare for life without Saquon Barkley, which they are in the midst of right now. So Saquon, we don't know when he's coming back. Are you comfortable going into the season with Matt Breida, Gary Brightwell, and now James Robinson? You know, that's the leverage that Saquon felt he had, but unfortunately for him, it didn't work out for him to get the money that he wanted. Let's go to Dylan in Plainview. Dylan, how are you doing? I'm doing good. It's just I'm pissed off with my team, you know. It's the Mets, like, you know, you got you got you got to agree with me on this. But Buck Showalter, he's the coach for Mets, and I don't get it. Like they're losing. I get. I was like watching the. I wa- I was watching them yesterday. They lost like two to six, and they have like they have like forty five. So, no, they have like forty something losses. And I, you know, I asked my dad today. I was like, "Do you think they're ever going to make it to the playoffs?" He's like, "Yeah, no, I don't see a good chance of them." I was like, "Well," and I made a good point to him. I was like, "Well, you know, if they put in different pitchers, maybe they would go to the Mets." They would well, go to the playoff. The problem, Dylan, and thanks for the call, it's it's and I, I've used this phrase a lot tonight, talking about the Yankees and the Mets, it's it's not a very well constructed team. Uh the Mets got a good pitching performance yesterday. The Mets I mean the Mets problems from the beginning the Mets pro, the Mets biggest problem right now is that they're six games below five hundred. They're not playing terribly right now. They're not playing well right now. 
but they need to play great from here to the rest of the season because of the way they played earlier in the season, because of the way they played against the Pittsburghs and the Milwaukee's and the Colorado's and the St. Louis's, the teams they should have beaten up on in the first half of the season. But during those periods of time, Scherzer wasn't pitching well. Verlander was either hurt or was one good start, one bad start during the month of May. Or Scherzer was suspended. Or Quintana wasn't there. Or Senga had an off night. Or the back end of their starting rotation wasn't pitching well. Or if the pitching was there on a particular night, Lindor wasn't hitting. Or uh, Escobar who they have since gotten rid of, wasn't hitting. Or Alonzo was either injured or wasn't hitting. I mean, it was a perfect storm. It was an accumulation of things for the Mets that put them in that position where they were 10 games below 500. They are trying to dig out of that. They're in the process of digging out of it, but they're not doing it at a fast enough rate. I mean, going 5-5 five and five over your last 10 games, going 3-3 three and three over your last six games, you don't have the luxury to play at that pace. When you start the season spotting everybody else 10 games by going 10 games below 500. Now, do the Mets have the capabilities from here on out to play 650 baseball? I'll tell you one thing. I'll say this about the Mets and comparing them to the Yankees situation. I have more faith in the Mets from this point to the end of the season. If you ask me which team I think will win more games, I think it's the Mets. I think the Mets at this point are a better team than the Yankees because the Mets have a better lineup than the Yankees do. And the Mets pitching is getting there. The Yankees pitching has been good pretty much the whole year. It's been great at the top with Cole. You got to figure out the Rodon thing. Clark Schmidt didn't have a great start tonight, but he gave the Yankees a chance to win, which they are doing right now, leading 5-3. to three. Domingo Herman's been pretty good. And... Um, Severino's last start was excellent. You hope he can build off of that. And the Yankees' bullpen has pitched really well. But other than that, the Yankees' lineup is one of the worst lineups in baseball. In baseball, the Mets' lineup is not bad. You know, with Nimmo, who slumped at the start of July but is starting to come out of it. He's got a two-run homer tonight. Lindor. McNeil, I still have no idea what's going on there. The guy's batting average is down like 85 points from last year. Alonzo's hitting 202. Alonzo is in Giancarlo Stanton territory. But you've gotten Francisco Alvarez. What a rookie season he has had. Um, I think the Mets from this point on win more games than the Yankees. But the Yankees still have a better chance of making the playoffs because the Yankees, the Yankees are four games out of the final wild card spot in the American League. The Mets are seven games back and a lot of teams to jump over. I think it's a very strong possibility that we have no October baseball in New York this year, which the Mets have the highest payroll in baseball and the Yankees have the second. Who would have guessed that? What a disaster that would be. All right, more of your calls and more on Saquon as we continue here on 98.7 ESPN New York. 